Hello and welcome to Emerge, Evolve, Lead, a podcast for people in recovery from addiction who want to be better leaders. I got clean and sober when I was 24, and then I started my corporate career. After several decades, I left that job and created Emerge Leadership Academy, where I train leaders and coach people in recovery who are ready to step up in their career. My name is Maureen Ross-Gem, and I'll be your host. Hello, and welcome back to Emerge Evolve Lead, the podcast for people in recovery. My guest today is Tom Fay, the owner of Gambit Recovery. Tom has opened recovery houses in six states and has 11 years of sobriety and seems clearly committed to helping others. Welcome to the podcast, Tom. How are you doing today? Not too bad. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm really glad to finally meet you. I know we met on Clubhouse like a year ago, and then again recently on LinkedIn when you announced you were starting your own business. But before we get into all that, why don't you tell our listeners what it is you do for a living and like anything about your family life you want to share, what you do for fun and hobbies and what your life is like today? Sure, absolutely. So I, so yeah, Gambit Recovery is my company, and, and what I do is uh, I open and operate sober living houses uh, for individuals struggling with substance use issues. Uh, my family life, I, I'm married. I have two daughters, uh, so I'm outnumbered. But uh, <laughs> I'm in Gilbert, Arizona. I'm originally from Wilmington, Delaware. But yeah, day-to-day life is, you know, meetings, uh, work, sober house stuff, stuff like this, talking with other individuals in, in the industry and just always learning and always helping. That's awesome. It's such a good life, isn't it? It's so much more fun and better than anything it was before. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So boy, Delaware and Arizona, that's a huge, um, diverse change there. Why did you move to Arizona? Uh, I moved to Arizona from Florida. My, uh, my first daughter was born in Arizona. So I, I left Florida to come to Arizona to to be a father and oh, best father ever. And that's then that awesome. didn't pan out. Well, that's okay. Things shift and change. And honestly, I believe that everything happens for our highest good in the end. Do you believe that? Yeah, I absolutely do. Yeah. That's good. Okay, Tom. So let's go ahead and get into your story. Tell us um, what happened. How, how did you grow up? How did you figure out that you were an alcoholic and decide to uh, reach out and get help? I, well, I guess the how I figured out I was an alcoholic or, and had issues with drugs was I was told from an early age that it was that was in me uh, by my mother. So my my dad was an alcoholic. I had uncles that were alcoholics and drug addicts. Uh, you know, it's, so my mother was very keen to that lifestyle uh, as well as the consequences that came with that lifestyle. So even at an early age, uh, she always told me that like. You know, you can't drink, you can't do drugs like that. That oh, gene wow. is in you. Jeez. Uh, but you I was smarter anyways. than that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was going to crack the code and have a great life shooting heroin. How did that work out for you? It was terrible. Uh, mm. I had consequences immediately, uh, internally, like with guilt and shame. And then after, you know, years of using, then the physical consequences came, the legal consequences came. But even throughout using all those years and drinking, I, I didn't mind not that I didn't mind. I, I didn't care about those consequences. It was the guilt and shame that uh, the coward that I am, I couldn't deal with. So rather than face it, deal with it and ask for help, I just kept piling on more substances. And 
it would gnaw that feeling and I would feel good in the moment and forget all the chaos I had just created and the family that I neglected and all that stuff. But it just added more guilt and shame. And then, you know, then came treatment centers. I would go to detox or treatment centers and then, you know, my mother would pay for it at first or insurance would pay for it. And I would get out and go right back to drugs. So then it's like on top of the, the guilt and shame for being a drug addict, then I just failed at a, at a, my attempt of sobriety. So it's like, wow, I'm, I'm just one big screw up and I'm never going to get this right. So I, even at an early age, I, I separated myself from other people. And I hear that a lot from, you know, other people, alcoholics and addicts is that I just, naively thought I was alone at this even though growing up my mother said your dad has this issue your uncle has this issue and like you know they got sober blah 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 and I just felt like I was the only one in the you know you were different world. because you weren't yeah. getting it so your dad and your uncle both got sober while you were growing up or when you were in the throes two, of your addiction uh well I, my father w attempted sobriety uh he would go to meetings have a sponsor periodically uh, DUI stuff like that but no he died an alcoholic uh, and then I had uh, two uncles get sober one is currently still sober uh, the other one just uh, within the last three years overdosed and died in sober living oh, uh, back man. oh I'm so sorry yeah that's the real heartbreak of this disease isn't it when we hear about not you know people who had it and lost it and then lost their lives over it it's it's very painful and were you were you sober when these deaths occurred like your dad and your uncles i was not so yeah i was not sober when my father passed okay. uh, i was quite the opposite i was yeah not sober we'll leave it there <laughs> right. but with my uh with my uncles i was sober so i got to be on the other side of the spectrum and then be present for my mother uh, when she lost her brother and be at the funeral and be there for my family rather than make it about me and play the victim and use it as an excuse to, you know, drink and shoot heroin, which I've done previously. Everything turned out to be all about me. Like, Hey, sorry about your loss, but let can we make this about me real quick? It's not that we consciously do that. It's just that there's this pain this aching, horrible pain that we know we can squash it, even if it's just for a little while. And we do, we do squash it because we can't face it because we don't have the tools. Now, it's interesting that your mom sort of, you know, part of me wonders, did she condition you to be an alcoholic? <laughs> but it doesn't really matter. Like what our parents do. My dad was an alcoholic too. And my mom went to Al-Anon even when I was like 13 years old. And that's when I started drinking, thinking I'll never be like him. And I turned out to be exactly like him. Is it really for, because of what's in our genes? Even so, both my husband and myself are recovering long-term over the 30 years, but even over 20 years when we were raising our daughter and we told her just assume you're an alcoholic, <laughs> like just assume that you're going to have Absolutely. a problem. And honestly, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't stop them. It doesn't, it doesn't, there's nothing we can do. Everyone has to have their own experience. All right. So what was the pain that brought you to your knees or situation that really made you finally get it 
that I can't do this anymore. I'm done. Can you tell us about that surrender? Yeah, I've, I've had multiple surrenders. Uh, but like I attempted suicide uh, when I thought that sobriety wasn't an option and I was, you know, there's no point of being alive kind of, kind of route. Uh, and, but then I, I used right afterwards, you know, I had reconstructive surgery, my artery and nerves in my wrists, I had a blood transfusion to like wow. blood out. And then, you know, after recovering and then going to rehab, it's like, I, I thought that was it. Like, all right, here's my second chance at getting sober. And I picked right back up. Uh, but I think it's like the most cliche th thing that I hear is I, I, I finally realized that I was alone uh, because I, I felt it like in the core of me. And that feeling really scared me because I was, I was in Arizona at the time. Uh, my daughter and her mother were living in Ohio to get the help and support that uh, they needed and deserved. And I was just, uh, I had money to continue getting high. I, you know, I had drugs and alcohol, uh, but that feeling overwhelmed me that this isn't the life that I wanted. And I don't want to be this person. You know, I, I miss my family. I miss my daughter. So this is after like 22 inpatients, you know, detoxes, all that stuff like that up and down the East coast. Uh, and I, I picked up the phone and I called my mother and I, I got honest for the first time in my life with her. And I just explained, look, I've been shooting heroin since 17. I can't stop. I'm scared. Uh, and I honestly think I'm going to die. So I went to a treatment uh, out here in Arizona and like, it was no different than any other treatment center I went to, but I, I was listening with different ears. Uh, I had a roommate, Eric and Paul, uh, that we had similar backgrounds and I, I saw them go to meetings. I saw, saw them come back to our, our room that we we're in talking about how exciting group was. I saw them leave with their sponsor and talking about when they get out, all the plans they were going to do and the awesome life they were going to have. And I was like, why are you guys so excited about sobriety? Like I thought sobriety sucked and like it's painful. And cause I was just that coward. I would go to detox, get some time under my belt. And then when I would step out of detox, it's like, oh, okay, well, here's the court, the court fees. Here's the child support. Here's all the people you screwed over. And it was like, well, screw this. And it was learning that, uh, I'll say, you know, building that courage through other people. I, I borrowed their courage and their integrity and their responsibility. And I adapted it to me and I just followed suit. And what happened was I got really awesome results. Like my internally, I felt better. Uh, my conversations with my mother on the phone got better. Uh, my daughter's mother was taking my phone calls and that was all within like the first, you know, four or five months of sobriety. Nice. And how old were you, Tom, when you got th this time at this point? I got sober in 2010. Uh, I, don't, I don't know my age. I think I was 27. Okay. 28. Yep. Mm -hmm. So things started really getting better for you as you started to heal some of these relationships and you were dealing with life on life's terms. Well, yeah. And then, like, again, it was all internal. I was still a high school dropout. I still didn't have a license. I still didn't have a penny to my name. But for once in my life, I was like, all right, this is doable. Like, I, I don't need those things to maintain my sobriety. What I need to maintain my sobriety is, you know, that faith, that hope, and realize that even at blank day sober, that one individual that has zero day sober is looking to me as an example, because that's what Paul and Eric were to me. I, I came in 
and they already had 30 or you know 60 days under their belt in in this rehab and rather than like shame me and guilt me and, and make fun of me for detox and they're like hey dude this is what we're doing uh and we're getting some pretty awesome results so i just followed suit and like i said the results were i slowly began to like the person i was becoming where previously it was just, I was just so consumed with guilt and shame. Everything was about me. Uh, I was a terrible, terrible brother, terrible father, all that stuff. Yeah. So we beat ourselves up and then we finally get to a point where we say, wait a minute, maybe this isn't all about me. Right. Um, So I get that. So did you have some sort of a, uh, a spiritual awakening or um, an experience that really made this one the solid time that you stayed sober? What was the key to your success? Uh, it, I'll quit it to Looney Tunes, like in the cartoons where it's like Elmer Fudd will jump in and be fighting with Bugs Bunny and it's that big cloud of whirlwind and there's <laughs> like, you know, smoke and bombs going off and this and that. And then Bugs Bunny will jump out and it's just Elmer Fudd still in there going and going and going. <laughs> I mean, that was my entire life. Like I thought I was fighting all these things. And then at whatever, 27, 28, I, I took a step back and I realized I was literally fighting myself. I was fighting my fears. I was, I was definitely fighting honestly. I could not be honest with anyone about how scared I was, how ashamed I was, uh, embarrassed I was for, like, I, I got high and then that became my life. Right. It's like drop out of school, forget the family, you know, get a woman pregnant, you know, neglect that child. It's like drugs, 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 drugs. And then that. I'll say that that spiritual thing was just like, I, I was sitting in, in Tempe, Arizona and I was just took a step back and I was like, wow, this is my friggin' life. And after, you know, experiencing what life could be through other people, watching other people get sober who in, in my eyes were worse off than I was. So it was like, well, holy shit, if that scumbag can do it, maybe, maybe I stand a chance. Uh, and I really think, that first step of calling my mother and just vomiting all that truth. Like, here's who I, I think I am. I'm a huge scumbag and this scumbag thinks he doesn't belong on this earth. And she was like, dude, go get, you know, let's get you help. Like, you know what you need to do. You just need to face it. And then I haven't stopped facing things. So it's like all those consequences that, that were stacked up one by one, I chipped away at them. I didn't run from them. And then through that, I, I you know, formed integrity and then responsibility. And I started setting mini goals and then larger goals. And then when I started achieving them, it's like, wow, dude, like I have sold myself short for so long. Oh, yeah. If I just apply some of this stuff, like look how awesome. I mean, and again, it was at first it was all internal. Like I was still in my head about being high, not having a high school diploma in my head about not having a license. Like, but it was like, so what? Like, what, what can I achieve knowing that I don't have those things? So yeah, life got great. Yeah, it seems like so you came to, and you know, and then you really came to, and then you noticed other people that inspired you to be a better person, and you started walking on that path. Then suddenly you're not focusing on what you don't have. I don't have my college degree. I don't have a you know a daughter that's in my life, or I don't have this or that. Instead, you were focusing on here's what I can do. Here's where I can go. Did you also get into like a 12 step program and really begin to do some deep work on yourself? I did. Yeah. Uh, That makes a lot of difference. 
I, I, yeah, and that's the thing is like I, I had that a conception of my own that I, I thought AA was from watching my dad, but then when I actually like went to a twelve step program, and like I said, I I didn't. We were talking earlier about like trying to figure out if it's a gene thing or this and that. I was like, I don't care what the hell it is, whatever it is, like it, I have it. Like when I drink. 100% bad things happen. Not, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm either getting in a fight, I'm getting punched in the face, I'm getting a DUI, or it's like, no matter what it is, when I do drugs, I don't stop. So it's like, I'm not going to worry about what it is. I'm just going to worry about how to better myself. Uh, and then when I start to better myself, like, I genuinely believe that we're all on this earth to help other people. So it's like, I, I bettered myself to then better the lives of other people. And now drugs and alcohol aren't even a thought. Like, they're not going to better my life in any way. No, hell no. All right. So tell us about your career. How did, how did it happen for you? I, I imagine first that first year you really focused on you and then you started like, how, how can I give back and help develop other people? What happened in your career and what did you do for a living and how did you get to where you are now? Yeah. Well, like I said, like my experience was drugs yeah. uh, and inpatient treatment centers and sober livings so it's like from the age of 18 until i got sober that's all it was so like that was my background uh so then when i got sober in arizona i went to a sober living at the time it was just two houses uh i saw what it could be oh how long did you stay there i was in sober living for about a year honestly what do you call that like a halfway house a three-quarter way house what was it like there tell our tell us I never got to uh, go to one, but I sent my yeah, daughter no, one. It, yeah, it's standard. Yeah, so there's like uh, a sober living, a recovery residence. Uh, okay. So like just other individuals from other treatment facilities. Uh, but I saw what it could be. Um, and then by chance, the house manager uh, that was like managing the two houses relapsed. Oh. Uh, I saw an opportunity, uh, talked with the owner. Uh, he brought me on and he was comfortable keeping in that two houses. And I did some shifts with the contract, with the program, you know, and just implemented everything that I wanted. In wow. What does then, it mean what you wanted? So did you like change some of the rules and that, that sort of thing? Tell me what happened. What, what did you change? Well, yeah. So in my personal experience, sober livings have notoriously been just a place to hang out until you get high. Uh, Ouch. You know, yeah. you're, you're drug tested here and there. You pay rent, you do your thing, you, you, you get a better life, so to speak. But I saw that it was a lacking community. I saw it was lacking structure, program, uh, you know, a, a solid time frame. You move in on this day, and in 90 days, you, you should want to be here. And here is your kids are back in your life. You're caught up on child support. You have a career, all things that are attainable. And then so those two houses became three houses, became four. And then I you know, started opening houses in other states. Uh, and it was just every day was chaotic, but it was the chaos that I like. It's dealing with addicts and alcoholics, people just like me, who are telling themselves this place sucks. And it's like, hey, man, if sober living sucks, it's because you suck. And that's, <laughs> yeah, right. Own it. Time, Dude, yeah, every right. time I thought I was in a crappy place, whether it was a rehab or a detox or a wedding or whatever, it's like, that's all me. It's my perception of it or yeah. where I'm at in that moment. And then I just, like I, I said, I, I fell in love with the process. 
Um, and do you have a high level of success rates for people that come through your houses or? Well, yeah, define, I guess we could work on the definition of success, but, but the short answer is yes. Good. Okay. Because we know how it is in AA. It's, it's pretty dismal, actually. A lot of people go yeah. through treatment. There's only like one in 35 that end up staying into, in long-term sobri- into long-term sobriety. So, um, and then people that go to sober houses, I've heard some of them are just horrible and others are like incredible. They have huge success rates. People stay there long-term and then they really go back to their families and, or create yeah. families, whatever. But I'm, I'm also thinking somewhat about what the ones that I know that are for women. I don't know how it is for men in your, in your industry. Yeah. Well, what I'm trying to do is lock that, re- you know, that revolving door, uh, that I, in my personal experience, a lot of places almost promote, you know, that they, they want the repeat customer. Mm. I don't want that. I want people to come in, get sober. And then the, the next time the door opens, it's one of their family members. It's one of their friends. It's not that same individual uh, because that's, I, I want to avoid people like, you know, have recreating my story where it was, I was in and out, in and out, in and out. And so much so that that was my pattern. I thought that was the norm. Like I felt people were supposed to go to rehab 10 times in one state, then go to a different state and do it 10 times there. Uh, but I never heard anybody like, Hey man, you don't need to keep doing this. Like the pain stops when you want it to stop and here's how to do it. So that's kind of like my, my, my business model. I'm, I'm getting away from that revolving door and, and promoting the individual. So you've been doing this since you were like a year sober, basically for you've been doing it for like 10 years now this, the sober house management and you did it, I think with, as a partner with this other guy for a while. And then what happened? You stepped out on your own. You you started your own sober houses. I did. Yeah. So like other people, like everybody has the same vision, I think of of wanting to help people. Uh, And then, then somewhere it shifts uh, and it becomes about other stuff, Uh, but it hasn't shifted for me. My, my main goal is to help other people. Uh, so I saw the direction of my previous company and I didn't want any part of it. So I stepped away and started Gambit Recovery where it's, it's affordable sober living, uh, where these are upscale houses with a solid program and awesome structure and an awesome community. And it's affordable. That's where I've seen where other places are. They offer the upscale house, but it's at an upscale price. Mm. And I don't think where, where I come from, I don't have $1,400 a week for rent for sober living. Right. And are you, so, so how do you fund it? Well, uh, the residents pay rent privately. I don't work with insurance. Uh, I work with the individual. I meet them with where they're at and, you know, people get sober. So you bought, you bought these houses. Yeah. So we, you know, okay. buy houses, term and sober livings. Yep. Wow. And that's um, right now in Arizona. Correct. So currently uh, with my new company, Gambit Recovery, we're currently at four houses and we started, uh, the second week of February. Wow. So So in one month you got yourself four houses. Yeah. So awesome. That is awesome. And everybody chips in like in a community and does the work around the place and, and has meetings every night, that sort of thing goes to work. It's an, it's an awesome thing. It is so cool. It's awesome to be part of it. It's awesome to watch it. Uh, And like I said, it's, I just go back to my, my roommates in detox and, what they taught me without even knowing they were teaching me yeah. just by them doing the a program and talking about the future and setting goals. I, I was just, 
it's so contagious when it clicks in you and then it's like, okay, like I'm not alone in this. Maybe I can do this. So what are the biggest things that you've learned in your recovery that have helped you in your leadership and running this business? Biggest things that helped me was facing my consequences, no matter what they are. So uh, responsibility. Yeah. Honesty, uh, no matter what the outcome is. Good. Honesty. I also see um, consistency, reliability, dependability, and trust. Do you build trust with your people? Oh, that's the number one. You right. have to. You have to. That is the number one. Do you feel that you were a pretty trusting person before you got sober? No, it wasn't even a thought, but <laughs> a lot of feeling. <laughs> yeah, no. And so that's a big part that's probably changed. Do you think that your personality has changed a lot? And if so, what do you think has changed in you? I'm trying. Yeah. Short answer is 100% yes, uh, because I was literally just talking to a, a staff member uh, before this call remembering where I was at with even before getting sober and even in my first like five months of sobriety, I was, I was just a toxic human being. I had no filter. I said what I wanted. I did not care if it hurt people's feelings or if it even made sense. It was just, I don't care. Here it is. This is who I am and you've got to deal with it. Uh, but then I saw what that was doing to other people and my life wasn't getting better. Theirs were, they were making friends. I wasn't. I was, I was the guy in the back of the AA meeting, making fun of everybody. Uh, and then through doing this stuff and working with other people and, you know, I'll say mentoring, it's even that was a facade. I wasn't happy with that version of myself. So what happened was I, I started to work on me and be conscious of the words I used and what I said. And even if I thought it was funny, if it was hurting someone's feelings, I didn't want that. So it shifted. Uh, then I started to appreciate other people. Uh, I never thought I would be married, like ever. My entire family never thought I would be married. But it's like by applying all those principles in my life and setting my bar high on what I expect out of a partner, uh, I finally met her. And you know, now we, we just celebrated five years. And it's like even today, that's crazy saying that I'm married for five years. <laughs> You know, what I, what I see in all of the things that you're saying is that you've been able to heal all of that guilt and shame and the things that still kicked in guilt and shame, you decided to kick all that stuff out. No, I'm not going to be doing that anymore because it doesn't make me feel good. So right, we learn to really start listening to our heart and what makes us feel good and doesn't feel good and you know, contributing, helping other people and also giving, like giving your heart to somebody else. It just, it provides so much is in the way of love and support for your family. And you have another daughter now too. Did you say two I kids? I do. So yeah, I have a 13 year old uh, who lives with her mother in Ohio and our relationship is a hundred times better than it, it was when she was two because, Good. Uh, but yeah, I've got to make amends to her mother. Uh, everything's pretty awesome. She was just out here. Uh, and then I have a, uh, she's almost three and oh, nice. it's awesome. But it's, it, what you were talking about that, that guilt and shame, it's like throughout the years of, of working on myself and, and taking suggestions from other people that, you know, that have more than I do. I, I realized a lot of that guilt and shame wasn't even real. Uh, because I, I remember I, I sent my mother uh, a speaker CD that I did. Like I spoke in a meeting, it was recorded and I sent it to her. 
And uh, I was like, so what do you think? You know, did you like it? And she's like, yeah, but a lot of that stuff's not true. And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, that was pure honesty right there, mom. Like, I killed it. And she's like, yeah, but like, I was convinced my family hated me uh... and that they wrote me off. Uh, but my mom was like, we had missing persons out on you. Your brothers are always out looking for you. We, 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 we were all, we never gave up. I just had to set boundaries and say like, you're not allowed in this house. Cause when you show up, things go missing. Uh, so it was like hearing that even in, you know, after being sober years, it's like, wow. Like I was still holding on to that guilt that I was a terrible, and I was a terrible son, but. But you made up that story in your head yeah. that they hated you or some <laughs> yeah. shit. Yeah. It's not true. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. good. Because that's all they are is these stories and our egos. They really do try to keep us small. And that's that little voice that's cunning, baffling and powerful that we don't want to really listen to. Right. That alcohol mm -hmm. thing. So if you were going to give your best bit of advice to somebody who was maybe had a year or two of sobriety and was ready to step into leadership, what would you tell them? Just walk through that fear. I mean, that, that's all it is. Like, I'll say walking away from a company that I was with for almost 11 years, there was tons of fear about going into that, the, the great abyss and, and doing it on my own. Uh, and it did. It took a lot of time to do it, to walk through that fear. But it's like right when I walked through that fear, and I, was it because I was, you know, sober and, and fearless? It was I was sober and had, I was much more courageous. Right. So to, to someone trying to, do that and and launch onto anything new or leadership or mentorship or start a company it's like swallow your pride walk through that fear and then more importantly ask other people that have done it uh and i was amazed at, at what i could accomplish and after walking through it i realized like it was not that scary at all well it's because you asked for help and exactly. you're not alone. And it is a community, you know, there are other people have gone before us. And so yeah, that is, that's a, that's a really good bit of advice. Don't have to go through it alone and just walk through the fear anyways, because it's definitely worth it. Because the yeah. next level, and let me tell you, Tom, I've been sober a long time, and it gets better and better and better. It just keeps getting better. If you keep you know, learning and listening and, and uh, keep the ego in check. It's really Absolutely. an awesome, awesome world. So I'm so glad that you're doing what you're doing. If people want to get in touch with you, how would they, where would they find you? Uh, GambitRecovery.com or Facebook. Uh, my numbers, right. my personal cells everywhere on there. So Perfect. reach out for anything. Okay. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Tom. I wish you all the most beautiful, wonderful, abundant success you can have because you're doing something really good in the world and we need more people like you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Grateful to be here and I really love what you're doing. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, leave a review and share it with your friends. You can visit us at EmergeLeadershipAcademy.com to take the quiz to find out what animal best represents your leadership style. And until next week, remember, you have so many leadership skills that you learned in recovery. Stop hiding because your contribution matters. Thank you.